I think it's it's probably clearer now than 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 ever around this time of year that that all of us have some kind of standard of of good or bad or um, maybe we have a standard that we put on other people of oh that person is is worse than I am or or we wouldn't maybe say it that way but maybe we think of it as I'm better than that person um, but if I were to ask you this question and maybe at the end of the year you guys think about okay well you look at your own year re- reflective and go okay well 2013 I wasn't as bad as the year before. I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit further along in, in my, my walk and, uh, and understanding. And, and so we kind of, we put this standard in place of, of what is good and what isn't bad. And I understand that the Bible talks about certain sins and, and others. And we see like from our government that there's different punishments for different things. But God clearly states over and over and over again in the Bible that sin is sin. Sin is separation from God. And so I wanted to ask you this question, and you've got to be real honest, and no one needs to raise their hand or answer this out loud, but I would really like you to actually go to this spot in your head today, where is, what is the worst thing you've ever done? I mean the worst thing, like it, you know it's sin, you know it, it's wrong, and maybe it's something that you can't even say to someone else, you're afraid, you're embarrassed, you, you, you kind of, maybe it's something that was illegal, what's the worst thing you did this year? See, I think that every single one of us struggle with that because we start thinking, okay, well, there was this one lie, but, oh, I did lie worst, or, you know, there was this one website, or, ooh, you know, and we kind of, we start going down this, this, this realm of, well, was this too bad, or was this worse than it should have been, or, or how do I beat this? What if I were to tell you that the worst thing you did this year is you were a murderer? Now, thank you for coming. Have a great week. We love you guys. <laughs> but here's the thing about that. Here's the thing is actually Jesus identifies almost every single one of us, as a murderer. And so it's a, it's a tough text, it's a hard text, but here's the reason why. And I'm gonna, he calls us murderers and adulterers. And we've been in this book of Matthew, and we've been working our way through, and he comes to this section that is, is, is an astronomical section for all of us to even try to apply to our lives. It points more and more of our need of Jesus Christ, but points at the fact that we have an action, a life, a way that we should live if we are a part of Christ. And see, Jesus tells all of us, he says, look, if you've ever, ever been angry with someone, it's the same as murder. And so by that standard alone, I'm pretty certain that most of us can go, oh, oh, that, that's me. And so what do we do with that? And as, as I think of the end of the year, most of the time, when maybe we're not thinking about what we did or we're talking about New Year's resolutions, but a lot of us go to relationships. A lot of us go to, okay, well, what was the relationships like in 2013? What are the relationships going to be like in 2014? And we start thinking about, oh, man, I, I messed up in that one. Or, man, I can't believe that one's still not there. You've lost friends or, or you've, you've, you've seen family members kind of divide. And it's been, it's been a rough thing. And so here's the thing. Jesus speaks specifically about this. And we're going we're gonna to dive into it. But but I'm going to, before we do, I'm going to say, if you, need, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 5, um, verses 21. If you don't, the ushers will come up. And, and before we dive in, I just, I got to remind you that, that, that where Jesus came out of. So he's just come out of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, I should say. He just came out of the Beatitudes. And he ends the Beatitudes with this idea of you are to be salt and light. So we know that the Beatitudes were, were Jesus attacking at the core of our heart. Not what we do, but who we are our identity in him. And then he says, because of who we are, because of who we are, you are to be salt and light. You are to be the salt of this world. You are to be the light of this world. You are, you are the one. You are the, the choice. You are the people that I have chosen to make and bring good news to this world for much glory to Jesus Christ. 
And then he follows it up with where we were just before Christmas, which is, is he says, I didn't come to abolish the laws. I came to fulfill them. And then what he does in this section is he lays out a bunch of interpretations of the laws. And the reason why we say interpretations, it's, it's the scribes, and we talked a couple weeks ago, you have to listen to it, about the different versions of the laws and, and, and what they were talking about. But basically there was one level, and what was most prevalent in that time was the interpretation or the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees. So it wasn't just the Old Testament law. It wasn't just the Ten Commandments. It was all these extra things that they had put in there. And what happened is this interpretation that they had was wrong. It was just flat out wrong. And so what Jesus does is he says, you've heard, and he's going to do this through the next, through the end of chapter 5. You've heard this, but I tell you this. And he's not in any way negating or pulling away from the, the, the laws. But what he's doing is he's applying them and saying, look, your interpretations are wrong. I just want to pause on that real quickly because I think as, as much as we read this, sometimes we forget the fact that this actually applies to our lives today. And I would be venturing and willing to bet that some of us in our interpretation of God's word is wrong. We use, we use God's word to allow ourselves to make rules that are okay. We use God's word to, to condemn other people and, and make ourselves self-righteous. We use God's word and we interpret it in the wrong way so that we can be more accepting. See, our interpretation, my interpretation is useless if it's counter to what this says. So, so, so Jesus is up here saying, look, their interpretation was wrong. And they've been teaching it all day long. And there's been well many people like me and others that stand up and, and teach God's word. And our interpretation can be wrong. So you need to always continually look back at what the scriptures are saying. And he hits very basic ones. He hits, it's, it, it's five commands that are very common to everyone about what they were taught. And the first one today is, is murder. And so, so I'm going to pray again real quickly because um, this is, I believe, one that will directly affect all of us in a big way. And then we will read the verses. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, allowing it to be a double-edged sword at times to just encourage us and to excite us when we think about um, Jesus and, 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 and the Christmas story and what comes around that and the birth of him. And we just thank you for that. And I also thank you for times like this when it can just cut, cut at the core of, of us, things that, the branches and vines that are not connected to you, God, the things that we need to shed. And I can't think of a better time to just happen to land on this scripture than the beginning of a new year, new year where we get to look at relationships and we get to think about the people that are in our life or aren't in our lives, the sins that we have had towards them or they've had towards us, God, and what it means to be what your verse <laughs> 9 said of being a peacemaker, God. So we just thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word. And may we just, um, may we get out of the way and let your spirit just work on our hearts in an amazing way for your glory and your glory alone. Amen. So Matthew 5, 21, he just came out saying, look, I came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. And he goes into 21. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to, to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And so here's Jesus. Again, he's, he's, he's coming off of what we had talked about before, and he's, he's saying, okay, look, here are some examples of ways that our interpretation has been wrong. And then he goes into verse 21. He says, you have heard of this at old. And he says, you have heard because it's the way it was being taught. 
So it was the way the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching his word. So he's saying, you've heard them say it. He's not saying, you read this in the Old Testament, and therefore I'm going to change it. He's saying, no, no, you've heard this from the rabbis and the scribes and the Pharisees. They have, they have taught you this way, saying, if you murder, you are liable to judgment. Every single Jew in that time knew what judgment was. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood, whoever murders a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made in his own image. And he says, look, when you affect or harm someone else, you are harming God's image, and therefore you are going to shed blood. You will be killed. And so they all understood, okay, well, I know if I murder, then I'm, I'm called to death. I, I, I'm going to be put to death. And that is a just thing. But then he goes on and says, no, 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 I'm not just saying that. I'm saying, but anyone who's been angry with his brother is liable to the same judgment. Anyone who's been, who, anyone who's been angry with him, and he does three progressions in there, and we'll talk about them in a second. But first he says brother, and this was used in a very broad term. In the New Testament, brother would sometimes mean um, fellow believers, but at this point there wasn't really, uh, Jesus hadn't gone and there hadn't been a church that necessarily begun. So this brother was in general sense of the people that live around you. The people that are there, whether they, they knew God or not, if you are angry with them, you're liable to this judgment. And then he goes into three versions. It's insults. He says angry, and then he says insults, or, or your, your Bible may say raka. It, there's no exact modern-day equivalent of that. It just means malicious abuse, slander, gossip, calling someone a worthless fellow or an idiot or empty head. It's, it's not a nice term. And then he says the last one is you fool. And some, some scholars would say, well, that's just him saying, look, there's different variances of how you can fail at this with different judgments. I don't think that's what he's doing at all. In fact, I think what he's saying is all of them are wrong. And all of them set you up with a problem. You're separated from God. You're separated from the righteousness that he has called us to be in front of him. And so fool was a really, really harsh way. In fact, fool really, we say you fool in kind of a loose way today. But it, it essentially was demeaning someone's character. It was saying that their character, it was condemning their character. You were literally standing in judgment over them. And I, I, Christians love to say, well, we're not called to judge. We're not called to condemn. God tells us that we are to, to, to judge the fruit of the Spirit in one another in a healthy and gracious and loving way. But this saying, you fool, is condemning someone. It is judging them in a sense of where you stand over them and say, I am better than you, and you're, you, are, you are doomed. You, I judge you to, to hell. You're a horrible person. Like it's, it's literally standing over them and saying, I am better than you. So he, he says all these things. He says you're either liable to the court, which would have been the Sanhedrin, the time made up of about 70 people and they would they would try the hardest cases and they would even they, they would even one of their punishments was that you'd be you'd be put to death by stoning and so the Sanhedrin was in place this council was in place that was that was basically we're going to take on the hard cases not the little ones we're going to take on the really really hard cases and then he even says that look there's some of you that can have so much hatred and anger in your heart that you deserve Gehenna a fiery fiery place of trash or hell now I know that hell is one of those things that oh man we get really really scary so I'm going to tell you right now that that Jesus speaks a lot about it he speaks a ton about it and we're going to talk about it when we hit further in Matthew but essentially what he's saying is that there are some people that are so far gone with judgment and condemning spirit and anger and hatred that they are they are deserving of hell and they can't there's there's no coming back in that and so that's that's something he teaches and I promise you we will get there because Matthew will not let us stay away from it as Jesus hits it again. And then verse 23 through 24, 
Jesus does something that I think you and I all overlook. Because it's one thing to think, oh, yeah, I'm angry. I'm mad at that family member or that person hurt me. And so I started getting bitter and we've worked through forgiveness. But then what Jesus does is he ties my relationship to others to my worship to God. And he says they are inseparable. He says, in fact, if there you are presenting your offering, this offering would have been the Day of Atonement offering, some animal that was, that was flawless that you were going to go and, and stand just outside the temple court and, and present that to the, to the priest at the time, and he would take it in and slaughter it and spill its blood so that you could be atoned for, that your sins could be paid for. He's saying if you're at that spot looking for atonement and you realize your brother has something against you, you need to stop. You need to leave there. First go be reconciled and then come back. And I just, I, that, is, that is huge because he's saying the implications of the statement is that our worship with God is fractured by our relationship with each other. See, you have to look back to verse 8 on this one when he's talking about, or verse 9 when he's talking about being peacekeepers. So Jesus has already said, look, look, we are ushers of peace. We are ushers of peace, so that means that we will, we will be ones that engage in peace. We also have to remember in verse 10 through 12 that we will be persecuted for righteousness. So what Jesus isn't saying here is he isn't saying that you're going to have people not like you. And therefore, if they don't like you, you need to chase them around. Well, do you like me now? Do you like me now? Do you like me now? That would probably make them like you less, right? He's not saying that. In fact, let's be honest. If anyone's standing up and, and speaking truth, you're going to be disliked in this world. In fact, that's the promise of persecution. If we live a life of light, darkness is uncomfortable around light. So he's not saying be liked, but he's saying that there's actually not only, hey, I may have wronged someone and go make that right, but an awareness in me that recognizes that I have wronged someone. So he puts all this accountability and weight on us. There's, there's two things in this. We are, we, we are not only responsible for, we are only responsible for what others hold against us if it's been owning of sin or blundering on our part. So I want to be really clear. I can't, I can't own someone else's anger towards me because they don't understand what God's calling me to. I can't own someone's anger towards me because um, they just don't like the way I dress or I look. I can't own that. What he's talking about here is, is owning the fact that you have sinned. You have wronged someone. You have made a choice and you have stepped in the wrong way. You have hurt someone. Second thing it says, we're, 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 to res, we're responsible to pursue this reconciliation. But live with the pain if it does not succeed. See, in other words, we're not responsible to make reconciliation happen. Only God can transform the hearts of man. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in, in Romans twelve eighteen, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. See, Jesus took every step required to be at peace with human. He took every step required. He lived a perfect, sinless life. People were mad at him, ultimately hanging him on the cross, but he did this so that people could be re reconciled to him. See, he pursued every aspect of it, and you and I, we can't control the hearts of other people, but you and I have wronged people. We have sinned against someone, and he's saying, you need to seek reconciliation. You need, to, you need to be aware of those you've wronged. So my assumption is that you've wronged someone. My assumption is you're like, well, I don't really know how to make this 
this change. I don't, I don't really know how to help someone. I, I'm not really sure what to do about this. Well, verses 25 and 26 are essentially commentary for this. He goes into this idea right here where he's talking about, like, you're headed to court with someone. And it would have been very common if, to go over to someone's house and say, hey, you owe me a debt. We're going to court together. And they would walk together. And the rules were that you could, you could settle the, the, the debt right there. You could come to terms. You wouldn't have to go to court. But once it went to court, you had no choice of what the decision was of the court. You had no choice. You could have been liable. You would have been judged. You would have been doing this. And the, I think that the point that Jesus is making is that, that it's not tomorrow to go settle the debt. It's today. It's not, oh, you know what, when I run into him sometime or when I, when I make it happen, I'm going to do it. It's no. You go deal with it now. If it's inconvenient, you deal with it now. You pursue that. Now, you can't control other people's hearts. They may not seek reconciliation, but as far as it depends on you, you are to seek that. In fact, Jesus says that your worship to him is affected by that. It's affected by that. Jesus' teaching about murder, whether committed outwardly or not, affects our view of others, our worship to God, and our relationship with others. See, so, so none of us are, 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 are null and void from this. None of us have, have are, are, oh, it's okay, everything's fine. I just kind of shoved it under the mat and pretended because we know, <laughs> trust me, if you're mad or someone's mad at you, they didn't really shove it under a mat. It's called bitterness, and it festers, and it, and it clings on to you, and it starts tainting your view of this world and people around you. It's a sickness. It's a disease. So let me ask you this question. Have you murdered anyone this year? Have you, have you, have you murdered them? Have you been in wrong towards someone and not sought reconciliation, but stood up here and sang like, oh, praise Jesus, everything's great, all the while you have completely wronged someone? My, my guess is, yes. The best part is, Jesus died for murderers. See, his, his, his grace is sufficient for us. In our anger, and our frustration, Jesus still says, I love you. No one is out of God's reach. No one's out of God's reach of grace. See, and, and this is one of the things that I, I don't know, scholars disagree on whether or not Jesus is doing this, but one of the things is, is they say, well, he's pointing to these laws and making them, he just came out of saying, look, your righteousness has to pass that of the Pharisees. You have to do a better job. And remember, they kept the laws perfectly. They just had no heart in it. And he says, he says, okay, now to do that, not only can you not murder someone, which most people go, sweet, like last year I came through the year going, sweet, I didn't murder anyone, I'm good, right? Most of them are like, oh, check, done. He says, no, 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 you can't even be angry with them. Again, Jesus isn't advocating no anger. There is righteous anger. We can, we can, Paul tells us that we can be angry but not sin in that. I'm, I'm not really sure where that line is, and I really struggle with it, but if you know it, please help. But Jesus says, no, and he pulls this righteousness to this level that's like unattainable, impossible. And so some scholars say he's, he's doing this to remind us of our need of him. Our need of him because if I had to stand before God on my own account as to whether or not I wasn't angry with someone, I'd fall short every single day. 
shoot, it doesn't take long to drive in Boise to fall short with that. I mean, like, seriously, some really bad drivers here. Bad. But, but the point is this. The point is this, is if the Spirit of God is in you, then you are righteous. If the Spirit of God is in you, then that means that when someone comes to be reconciled with you, when they wronged you, you don't withhold that from them. You don't deny them of that. That's, that's on you now. That's you not settling before the courts. And Jesus says, do it today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Just like those of you in the room that have been wrestling with whether or not Jesus is worth surrendering your life to, or you've been kind of on this, this teeter-totter, and you're like, well, you know, I, I want to give him this, but I don't want to give him this, or I kind of like the idea of just going to church and looking a little holy here or there. You, he's saying settle that today. You can settle that today with him. And here's the best part. He no longer looks at you as a murderer. You don't have to raise your hand and say, I am a murderer. You can say, I'm redeemed. I am righteous. I am an adopted child of God because of his grace. But to assume that just because it's unattainable, which it is, that we don't have to do it, would make Jesus' teaching pointless. And he says it because he believes it's valuable, because he believes that's what we're supposed to do, because that is what we're called to do if we are his children. So that means that you and I get to spend the next few days or weeks or months or whatever it may be looking at those whom we've wronged, who we have sinned against, and doing what it takes to be at peace with them. And when someone comes to us, we need to be willing to reconcile with them reconciliation and, and being at peace with someone does not mean that you just pretend like nothing happened. That the point of reconciliation is that there was a true hurt, a true sin there, and therefore needs to be confessed, repented of, and reconciled. Because here's the problem. If we don't do that, guys, then our worship with God is fractured. It's fractured. You may be failing at this right now. The good news is it's not really a matter of what you do. It's a matter of your heart and what he does through you. The band's going to come up, and we're going we're gonna to sing some more. But before we do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us, um, and then I'm gonna, we're going to take an offering. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And um, I thought it would be really, really good to do that in the message this time, mainly because... You know, I love that Josh used the word when we were worshiping, singing, saying that, you know, that's, a, that's an offering of ours towards God. S- some of you need to leave that at the altar and go be reconciled first. Here's the thing. He doesn't say don't worship God. He doesn't say, oh, just stop and use an excuse. Of, Sweet, I don't have to worship God. Awesome. He says, no, no, first go be reconciled and then worship. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you with this. If you came for money to give to the church or came for money to give to the roof, which we are really close to, or, or we didn't really count what came in on Christmas Eve for the roof in the Philippines, then, then awesome, please do so. But here's, here's the thing. If you're here to present that, and you know your brother has something against you, you know you have wronged someone, I want to challenge you to hold on to that. First go be reconciled, then come and worship. Take that a step further. Maybe you're like, oh, well, I didn't actually come to give today. That's great. I'm free from this. Well, you know what? Us singing is a form of worship. 
It is our way to worship God. Maybe you shouldn't be necessarily doing that at that moment. And again, this isn't a ploy to say, well, you don't have to worship God because, again, he calls you to do both, be reconciled and worship. But some of you need to leave that at the altar. And maybe it's time for you to just sit down and say, you know what, God, reveal to me those whom I've wronged. Reveal to me those who I need to be reconciled with so that I can then come to you with an unfractured worship of I've done what I can to be at peace with man. Again, I'm not saying that the relationship will be perfect. Some of you guys have been hurt so badly. Some of you, some of those people are, are dead that hurt you. And you're like, I don't even know what to do. Then there's, a, there's still an act of forgiving. There's still an act of, re- of confessing and repenting. Some of you, 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 you don't even know how to make it right. It's, sometimes it's just, look, I may have messed up. Forgive me. I don't know how. Did I hurt you? And they may say something that you never, ever, ever did, but that's the, that's, the, that's the problem with unconfessed sin and anger and frustration and bitterness is that it grows and it comes into this. Have you ever played the game Telephone? Right? You ever seen like the end of the telephone? Like that's unconfessed sin and angry. It's like, wait, you, you're mad at me for that? I, don't even, I wasn't even there then. But time and roots bitterness and you're carrying hurts from years ago. Some of you are going to have to do a lot of work. You're going to have to figure out how to even find the person. Fortunately, there's Facebook. Do it in a private message. That's a better way to do it, just so you know. Well, here's the point. I want, I, I long for you. I know Josh and I, as, as, as we get ready to, to sing some more, I know we long, long for you to be able to worship God with a true heart. And you can only do that through Christ. But he says here, Jesus tells us here, that to do it with an unfractured sense, to do it in a way that, that is, is truly worship, first go be reconciled. And so again, maybe you, you, you came with money or you came with singing. Or, you know, my, my, the point isn't to sit down next to someone and your spouse doesn't stand up and sing and be like, ooh, I wonder if it's me or someone else. You start thinking about how they've wronged you. Like, no, Let, let's just pretend for a second that everyone individually is here before the altar, before God. And before you hand over your offering, which we don't even have to do anymore to atone for sins because Jesus paid for that on the cross. But when you, when you get ready to hand over that offering, whether it's Jesus praise you for what you've done, or here's my tithe, here's my offering towards the roof, would you ask him to reveal to you who you need to be reconciled with? So I'm going to pray, we'll play for a little bit, and then the ushers will come up and give you a chance. So I, again, I just, I hope this, this line that, that Jesus weaves is so hard to stick in, which is, it's your heart, it's your heart, it's your heart, but your heart will show action. He goes back and forth. He says, we can't, we can't undo one or the other. There's just the right order. And the order is first him, then others. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, this time together. God, I am sure in a room this side, there, this size, there is a massive amount of hurts. A massive amount of hurts. I'm sure people have been sinned against and wronged in the worst ways. And right now, it'd be really easy for us to go, well, you know what? I, I need that person to be reconciled to me first before I'm going to do anything else. God, would you, just, would you just strip that from us? Would you have us look at our own heart, God, and where we need to confess, where we need to call, where we need to connect, where we need to repent? And God, if in our hearts we recognize that, that we have hurt someone, that we have sinned against someone, and maybe our sin is just that we are, we are angry. We have hatred towards them. Even though they did something that justifies our anger, God, we ended up sinning in our anger. Maybe that's what we need to confess. 
But God, I, I pray that you would, you would lead us, your spirit would lead us in a way of doing this, not in some kind of self-righteous act, but in a way of us to, to truly be salt and light in this world of broken, messed up people. Yet every single one of us has a fractured relationship. Every single one of us has, has wronged or sinned someone. Would your spirit call to the names into our hearts and our heads right now, and would it just be annoying how bright and loud that name and that, that, that voice is? Or we can't do anything but go right be reconciled. And God, would you do something amazing in that reconciliation? Would you prepare the hearts of the people that we may pursue to receive that, God? Would you prepare our hearts to receive it? God, when someone comes to us, we may not be, it's about time. Will we not hold ourselves in some self-righteous form, but will we extend grace as you have extended grace to us? That we are all murderers, adulterers, messed up in need of your righteousness. And in your son, Jesus Christ, we actually are called righteous. I'm free. I'm pure as snow. God, may we not take that for granted and pretend that it doesn't matter what we do in our life, God. But we allow our heart that is changed by you, a heart that is pure, a heart that is, that is a peacemaker, a heart that, that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, a heart that is truly desiring to be salt and light, not for our own work, not for the name of some church, but for the name of Jesus Christ alone. Would we allow that heart transformed by you to make a difference for you in the lives of others? God, forgive us for, for being so self-righteous that we believe that someone doesn't deserve grace when we never deserve grace from you. Father, we thank you for, for your word. We know it's hard to hear. But God, as we get ready to worship you both in voice and in money, God, may we do it in a way where we aren't hindered by bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, hatred towards someone. God, for those of us that have been hurt in, in horrible ways, would you help us, help us to, to free our hearts from that Father, thank you for everything that Jesus has done for us and is doing for us to make us more and more like him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.